This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Brad King, thanks so much for coming back on uh, on Talk Your Book. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I thought we'll get into your stock pick in a minute, but I thought if we could start with um, getting you to walk us through Armitage Private and, and how you guys look to invest. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Chris. Um, yeah, Armitage has been around for about 25 years. It's Australian, uh, Australian only, long only fund manager. Basically, we've looked to invest on a different couple of different strategies, predominantly on income and value. Uh, we have a couple of retail managed fund products, and we also look after quite the probably the bulk, the two thirds of our book is under sort of a high net worth, self managed super funds, family trust type of arrangement, where we sort of run a bespoke model for 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 those those individuals. So. Um, particularly sort of focused on probably 70% of the book in, in large cap and then 30% in, in small caps um, to really try and add some alpha there as well. And what stock did you want to talk about today? Yeah, today we wanted to go into employment services and, and talk about people infrastructure. Um, it's a labour hire and recruitment firm. It's um, certainly come under pressure with, I suppose, most of those small and medium capitalisation companies at this point in time. I mean, the small Industrials was negative 25% for the financial year. So this one's very much in the same sort of vein. Um, it's a bit of a roll-up model at this point in time because the industry is so fragmented. So even though it's a $300 million market cap, it only has 2% market share um, across its book. So we expect it to be a high growth company focusing on making EPS accretive acquisitions. Um, today, it's sort of focused on the hospitality, hospital or healthcare staff, childcare services, and information technology services. And how does the business model work? How do they get their revenue and, and split it with the, their customers? Yeah, so their revenue is based on billing hours effectively. So basically the more number of nurses, IT service workers they have on their books and the amount of hours that they're, they're basically billing from. And I think the industries that they're targeting are the ones that are becoming far more complicated from basically an awards perspective. So if we have a look at the government and healthcare grants, where you've got a high level of a casualization of the workforce and you need to control what's casual, what's part-time, what's full-time, what award rate they're on, what type of service they're in. And in the hospitality one, my wife's got a, um, a restaurant and um, the, it's like 20 pages of different award wages for, for each staff member. So. It's very, very complicated and, and we've seen a few companies um, and a few firms being fined for failure to adhere to these. So those complications actually play in these guys' favour to charge a good margin and, and control the back end of the, of the HR network. And the Labor government coming in Australia now, is that a tailwind for, for PPE? Yeah, I don't think they're going to make it any easier for employers. They're certainly going to make it more favourable for employees. So, yeah, we're, we think that's, that's definitely going to help. Um, and certainly they're going to provide funding to sectors that the, probably the, the Liberals were probably going to look to wind back a little bit around healthcare services, the NDIS, childcare. Labor government's not going to pull that back yet. So we'll see some continued growth in that. And they've already sort of promised that in their election forecast. So we expect that to continue. And I mean, everyone in Australia is, is fully aware of the skills shortage we're experiencing. There are a lot of places around the world. I think we had 600,000 foreign workers leave uh, at the start of COVID um, and, and 
clearly not enough of them have come back yet. Is is that sort of a secular tailwind? Do you think that's going to play in PPE's favour, or do you think in in eighteen to twenty four months a lot of those people will have come back and and some of the skill shortages we've seen will start to ease? It's definitely a tailwind at the moment. So three point nine percent unemployment, and like you said, you've had that such a migration from the Australian workforce, but we were targeting 200,000 per annum. So you effectively lost up to almost three years of your workforce growth. And, you know, Australia talks about recessions and technical recessions and that, but we we have had a few in the past, but it's sort of been, um, I suppose, washed by the fact that we've had population growth and we just haven't had that. So it's putting a real pressure on that. So in some, if we can get those numbers back to pre-COVID levels, sure, it'll take, it'll take um, some pressure off, but... Like you said, we're still a couple of years in deficit to really catch up. And the competition for countries for that workforce is quite related, not from Australia, but from North America, Canada, um, UK, Europe. The, the mobility of workforce now and, and the flexibility you have from work from home too, just it really puts a lot more um, a lot more sort of power in the, in the employee. I think too, I mean, if you were a foreign worker, you'd need to see Australia get through a couple of winters without locking down the population, wouldn't you, before you committed to putting down money for a bond on a rental and, and paying what, what you need to, to to come all the way over and, and commit to a, to a new life. Is that fair? Definitely. And, and also look at the housing price and the rental prices at the moment. The affordability of Australia is not particularly good unless you're coming over with some some strong currency into the Aussie dollar, which has come off a little bit. But, yeah, that mobility is is competitive in, in other currencies now. And, and, yeah, we were sort of a lucky country and perhaps we're a bit more expensive than, than we once were. And so you mentioned that, that people in a roll-up. Um, maybe talk us through the, the last couple of acquisitions they've made and, and how they've been faring. I think the most interesting one was the recent food purchase. Um, so that's because that's a different vertical of what they've been historically going into. So the food industry people is an acquisition to really, I suppose, take advantage of where COVID has probably seen the vast majority of businesses go go under is, is in the hospitality sector for either lockdowns or inability to get staff. So I think now is coming into that with a with reasonably sizable acquisition in that space, um, gives them a new vertical to attack. So I think the next sort of acquisitions will still focus on that health hospitality and IT, and they'll fill those out before they look at another vertical. But that's probably the most pertinent one. The other ones was sort of more towards the, the information and technology services. Um, but that's one we see that has really good organic growth in it because the need for cybersecurity is just astronomical and you've got a lot of people with flexible work from home arrangements and that data protection is just critical. So we really like those two as a, as a vertical and then like your hospitality one is going to take some time to play out, but you know it's very fragmented. Very fragmented, and now you're seeing a consolidation of um, of some of these hospitality places that you can you can really leverage up and get some scale out of them. And you mentioned it's a fragmented uh, industry. Is there the scope for future acquisitions? Is the pipeline really large before they they run out of, of growth options to buy? Yeah, there's something like 830 small businesses with less than 10 million of revenue. So that means they can be really picky on, on the types of businesses they want uh, because they're not having to sort of 
I suppose take what the seller wants. They can they can sort of pick and choose as as they go, and really focus on something strategic or something with really good margins and cash flow. Um, so yeah, they can be very patient in that. So they've only got two percent market share. So picking up like to get to five or ten percent is just would be an amazing result, and they could probably do that in similar verticals to what they've got um, without sort of having to, to go into something that they don't quite or they don't have the skill set for. But balance sheet's pretty good. So they've probably got about 30 million headroom there that they could make further acquisitions. And maybe talk us through some of the numbers. What's their PE? What's their market cap? Yeah, it's almost like old school PEs. We're not used to seeing these anymore. <laughs> so if you're looking forward for 23, it's eight times um, PE and sitting on about a 5% yield. So they're almost inverted. Um, which is great from an investor's perspective because if you sort of look at your typical returns of an equity market of eight to 13%, then you're sort of banking half of it from your dividend yield alone. Uh, but you compare that against their industry peers and it's about the same sort of multiple, but the difference is the growth rate. Um, it's just higher in PPE and they have a lot more fragmentation that they can take advantage of. I think their, their organic growth stands out too. Often with roll-ups, you can get caught just looking at the overall growth and then once they stop buying businesses, you realise there's no growth there. Maybe talk us through what their organic growth's been in the last 12 months and, and what you can see that continue, continuing to be as well. We think organic growth can sort of stay. It's been about 10%. We think it can stay around that 10% level um, and then yeah, you're adding another 10 to 15% through through acquisition uh, acquisitions effectively. But the key thing about a roll-up is watching that come through from a cash conversion to free cash flow. And they had a 95% conversion. Now this year, they're not going to have quite that because they've got a couple of acquisitions coming through. So some high working capital. But if you can get back to that 90% cash conversion, um, it's just a really good business model because if you value it on a sum of the parts, okay, you probably get $3 a share or something like that. But if you value it on a full discounted cash flow, you're sort of getting over $5 a share. So based on where, where the stock is now, if, if you value it on that perspective and, and what it can pay as a dividend yield. And that's the payout ratio that you mentioned before is, that's a tricky one because it's really depending on opportunities or what they can buy. Um, but yeah, we just want to look at the cash coming through because that sort of really helps them deliver that organic growth and increase marketing spend and, and, and really have a crack at consolidating the industry. And what are any potential catalysts over the next six to 12 months that you could see it potentially leading to a rewrite? Yeah, I just think more confidence around the result. So coming into August, that, that'll be just to hit that sort of 46 odd million in guidance that they've, they've sort of targeted. So that's sort of the key one, just to get that confidence level up and to make sure that they're getting staff and being able to sort of recruit and get them out into the workforce as well. Um, but yeah, I think any sort of catalyst will be more so around acquisitions and, and things that really drop down to the bottom line and, and grow the company. But yeah, we don't we don't see it like it being a takeover target necessarily, unless it unless it sort of moves to a private equity type model. But it's really just sort of, I suppose, just valuation. It just becomes too compelling um, because of the cash flow and and the and the earnings multiple so low. Beauty, mate, it's a great story. Thanks for coming back on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.